0: We are, it's more than just a chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy.
1: Episode number forty-four of Lion Legacy, our first of twenty twenty-three. Happy New Year, my friend.
2: I remember last year we had the same bit. Like, is it too late to say Happy New Year? We're like almost three weeks into the New Year. I know, but but... Hey, let me be the last to wish you a Happy New Year. Okay, Jared.
1: thank you, my friends. Thank you.
2: <laughs> hey, Jared. Terrible news. I know. Terrible.
1: I know where you're going. Gumby's is closing. I know those pokey sticks. Oh, RIP. Right.
2: Something about pizza places in college towns, Gumby's, the pokey sticks, really it's just bread with cheese and some what, garlic or whatever.
1: But I know, but so good. It was delicious. So good. Delicious. So good. There was a pizza place that recently closed, but then opened up the one on. Oh, Olive
2: uh, pizza, pizza, right?
1: yeah i think it was college pizza and yeah. they had a, i think a food violation uh, not to get too technical I'm right shocked right yeah, exactly <laughs> we're all shocked
2: it's a bunch of college kids running a
1: piece no i'm kidding yeah. no oh. poor run out for gumby's it was good while it lasted it was very good while it lasted yeah. that is true at one or two in the morning right yeah yeah we do have some good news yeah, though about news. the rose bowl right yes sir
2: yes sir hey in our last episode we talked about the preview leading up to the rose bowl and was uh fun game to watch come on what a way for sean clifford to go out right totally like big plays the nick singleton nicholas singleton that big run and ah, it's just a fun game to watch gotta feel good for coach and the team and clifford and all
1: the guys glad we finally got one after years of not having a rose bowl victory so that's right always nice but we're talking today with a guest that was a little bit of a passion of yours growing up. I learned <laughs> that the other day. I, I never yeah, even knew that. Yeah. There's not that much, not that much. You don't know about me, Jared. So Jared doesn't always
2: tell me here, but we're going to lift the hood up from the lion legacy. Jared doesn't always tell me when he finds books, a guest, like he just, I'll get an, like a invitation in my email that just has the person's name. And I have to go Googling <laughs> these people to find out what, cause I'm curious. I'm like, what do they do? And so we, uh, we spoke with Jeff Barth and and so I had to look up Jeff Barth. And by the way, there's multiple Jeff Barths out there. He looked up in his email address. It said like NYDOT. So I'm like, all right, he works for the department of transportation. And so it turns out he's like a mapping guy and we're going to get into his official title. I'm I'm making it more generic right now. And he majored in geography when he was at Penn state. I'm going to nerd out for a second. I love geography. I just always loved like maps and it just came very easy to me. When I was in high school, I uh, I came in third place in the county geography being like 11th grade and, you know, make fun That's of impressive. me. Make fun of me if you will. But that was different geography, though, as we we're going to learn from one this episode. Like the geography you learn in high school is what's the deepest lake in Europe and how many countries in Europe does the Danube River run through? It's like things like that. And so what Jeff does is drastically different.
1: Still, I'm impressed, though, that you had yeah. that. And I, and something we've known each other for 23 years. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew your passion yeah, and it, interest in geography. It
2: doesn't really do me much good other than I have a very solid sense of direction. <laughs> and when I'm at a trivia night and they throw out the random geography questions, I can, can hold my own, but that's about it. I love it. Yeah. I
1: love it. Yeah.
2: And so as we alluded to, Jeff Barth works for the New York State Department of Transportation. So he's the head of the mapping department. Which is pretty cool. We learned about what photogammetry is. That was a new one to, the, to us. But he oversees the photogammetry section, land surveys, and CAD. We're going to learn all about. that. And he's been doing it like his whole career. It's pretty wild. But I mean, there's things that we drive on roads every day and things like that. And there's just so much that goes into the planning. And he tells us what he does and what he's involved with and everything with the DOT. I, and it's, it, gets, it gets a little technical, but it's pretty cool. It's a, definitely a good learning experience.
1: And one other thing, just want to give a shout out to Alexandra Zolin of Professor Katie O'Toole's podcasting class, who suggested Jeff come on the show. And Jeff will actually tell us how he was suggested to uh, to that class, which is a pretty cool story as well.
2: That's right. All right. So, Jared, you got to punch in your coordinates here. Get a GPS, get your map rolling. And we're, we're going to go find our way with Jeff Barth.
1: All right, let's welcome Jeff Barth, a 1989 graduate with a degree in geography from the College of Earth and Mineral Sciences. I'll add that he is our first guest from the College of EMS. We're really excited to have Jeff on. Jeff is the Director of Design, Mapping, and Automation Bureau for the New York State Department of Transportation, where he oversees the photogrammetry. Land survey and CAD sections, which we will certainly learn about and more. Great to have you online, Legacy Jeff.
2: Nice to be here with you. Jeff, nice to meet you. We've had many guests where we have at least maybe a little bit of knowledge of the career, what it entails. We've spoken with producers, architects, meteorologists, but now we're speaking with you. You're a director of design mapping and Automation Bureau at the New York State Department of Transportation, a career that I will say Jared and I probably know very little about. I imagine that many of the listeners like us are wondering, what is all your job all about? And then also, if you give us that overview, run us through your career path real quick. Give us like a, the bullet points on your resume. Sure.
0: Yeah. First and foremost, I consider myself to be a photogrammetrist. And it's funny because when you tell people, oh, I'm a photogrammetrist, they're almost like, a photo what? What do you do? <laughs> I was about to say, you got to give us what that means. (laughs) Yeah, but photogrammetrist is someone who makes maps from aerial photos. Um, And when I say maps, I'm not talking about maps like your traditional, maybe a road map or a hiking map or something like that. I'm talking about real zoomed into project area, real detailed map, but more like a 3D model. And it's done on a CAD platform. So computer-aided drafting and design is CAD. And these 3D models are then used by the engineering group to to do their layout, their design. They can calculate cut and fill from these 3D models. They're highly detailed. That's the type of mapping, when I say mapping, that we do. And it's usually done from aerial photos taken from about 1,500 feet in the air. And they're usually accurately to within like two-tenths of a foot. Pretty good accuracy for that high altitude of
1: photography and when you say just want to understand when you say they're taken for 1500 feet is that like drone helicopter plane yeah
0: that's a real good question most of our photography is fixed wing aircraft and the reason for that is because there's a lot less restriction on that um and uh we've just been doing that for years and years but drones are coming as a major source of um of imagery and uh, that's the exciting new realm because they can fly lower. They can, they can take oblique imagery, which is looking from the side. And a lot of the stuff that we do in photogrammetry has been automated in some of these drones. So that's really the wave of the future for the industry. So almost anybody can be a photogrammetrist with some of these new software that, that's coming out. I started as a photogrammetrist and saw a lot of change over the years in how we produce these maps. But the other part of that is I oversee the land survey section. And basically survey is the basis for all of the work that we do because that ties the mapping into real world coordinates on the map. and um, allows us to anywhere we go on the photo to actually accurately measure things. So survey is the basis for that. And then the other part of it is a CAD. So computer-aided drafting and design, that's the software that's used to capture this data. And that's what the airing work is. So, so
2: how did you get into this? I know you were a geography major. So obviously this was of interest to you.
0: And is this, have you always done this in your career or like, have you, how long have you been with the New York DOT? So I've been with New York DOT for coming up to on 34 years. So it's like your whole career. (laughs) My whole career. Yeah. And it's an interesting story how I got started. When I went to Penn State, I started off in engineering and I really thought that's what I wanted to do. And um, I quickly found out that math, the math wasn't for me. And physics was a real wake up call, having physics and realizing that uh, that's not my strong suit. I was really lucky to have an advisor that was able to steer me in the direction of geography. They said, you're doing really good in these like drafting type classes and you have a geography class. You seem to like those and doing well. Do you ever think of putting those together and i into cartography, which is map making. And I started taking classes and then I really enjoyed it. I really felt that was where I wanted to be. I graduated with a degree in cartography and remote sensing. Then when I went to the New York State Department of Transportation, it was really interesting because shortly after I graduated, Dr. McEachran, who worked in the cartography group there, he's a a professor, he got hold of me and said that there was an opening at New York State DOT. So I went and interviewed, and I found that they had two different sections. They had a cartography section and a photogrammetry section. So I went on the interview and, and was hired. And then when I reported for work, I found that I was put in the photogrammetry section. And I was kind of disappointed at first because I was like, well, I really don't know a lot about photogrammetry. It was really just a small piece of our remote sensing curriculum. But I felt if they were willing to teach, me it's some, another marketable skill that I can learn and I'll never lose my cartography skills so uh i went for it and ended up being there for 34 years
1: i just want to actually go back maybe i'm a little bit slow on the uptake so you said you're creating the photogrammetry and then that's being utilized for engineers is the sure. what what are the engineers are they doing because i know you're in department of transportation so is it for like new roads to be created yeah. is it okay yeah.
0: So it's for civil engineering applications, new roads, realignments. A big thing we've been doing a lot of now is roundabouts as replacements for problem intersections. Roundabouts tend to keep traffic flowing and reduce carbon emissions. That's a big focus on some of our work.
1: But Except also- us Americans don't know how to drive on a roundabout. In Europe, yeah. they're good, but here, I don't yeah. think so. I live in the Albany, New York
0: area, and there's quite a few roundabouts going in. And generally, uh, they're fought at first, but then people realize that that they really
1: do keep traffic moving and they learn to live with them. Very interesting. Are you mainly working in rural or urban environments or both? Obviously, New York State spans yeah. the city to more rural places.
0: That's a real good question. Like you said, when people think of New York, they always think of New York City and the amount of infrastructure down there is just ridiculous. And a lot of it's old and crumbling and needs re- rehab. We work on projects in New York City. We'll work on projects, small culvert jobs in Watertown. We'll work in the Adirondack Mountains or, or even the Catskills. There's lots of mix of projects. In fact, um There were a lot of projects in the Catskills for hurricane Lee and Irene. There was tremendous amount of rainfall in a short period of time for those two storm events, washed out a lot of roads and bridges. And we did a lot of bridge work for the years following those two events.
1: Are you utilizing these planes to some somewhat also assess current roads and their conditions and? Where you need to do uh, repairs?
0: I think we're getting into that, da- that type of assessment thing more with drones as we move on with that. But the fixed wing aircraft really is just a lot uh, of as is. We map the conditions as is, and then the designers will plan their changes uh, on top of the data that we give them. So it's not so much for a reconnaissance. It's more for uh, actual mapping.
1: Okay. And then maybe this is a little bit off topic, but you may be able to help us at least answer this question. I always see people with tripods looking through this camera-like structure. And I always wonder what are they looking at? What are they doing and what is going on?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're looking at people doing survey
1: work with a survey instrument called a
0: total station or a theodolite and these these tools are used to measure distances and angles between control points. And uh, they're the basis for setting control that then our work is based off of. They'll use those type of instruments to collect information. They can be coordinate information. They can be elevations for features like top of curb, bottom curb, catch basin corners, things like that. But they can also be control points. So if you've ever been driving down the road like a white painted X on the side of the road, and you wonder what that is, that's an aerial target that we use for photogrammetry. And they'll use those survey instruments to get a coordinate and elevation for that, that we can then relate to do the photogrammetric mapping with. So we turn a small amount of control into a large amount of control. And photogrammetry is a way to capture a large area at a lower cost than survey. Survey is pretty expensive by Mm -hmm. the point and uh, photogrammetry is a way to capture more area you, you probably right. saw the survey class on old main lawn because i was there <laughs> years ago doing that. what was it called again jeff the, the theo what was it called theodolite or a total Theodolite. State. all right
2: yeah J- jared you're gonna remember that now next time you want you're just you're gonna, you're gonna st- pull over right and you're gonna say
0: hey i see you're using the theodolite there you'll impress them
1: <laughs> i will see, impress them i will if you see them
0: yeah. if you see them on old main lawn make sure you You tell them to close their Traverse. (laughs) They'll know what you mean. So
2: uh, Jeff, just switching it up a little bit. So obviously New York state, as you mentioned, is very big area wise. How, I don't know if this is you or maybe folks you work with, but how do they determine where to focus and allocate the resources, right? What goes into the decision-making where, Hey, they pass on a project to you And they're saying, hey, we want to, you know, I don't know, transportation infrastructure in this certain area. Like any idea how that's allocated or or determined?
0: Yeah. Luckily, I don't have to make those decisions, but the people in the project management office, they make those decisions based on a lot of different factors. A lot of things go into it like um, accident data and safety measures. Obviously, if there's a large amount of accidents at a non-standard intersection, that might be high on our list to remediate. Traffic counts, obviously high traffic counts. We try to focus the funding on projects that are gonna impact people the most. Pavement scores, those are measures of the pavement conditions. How many years does a pavement treatment have left? Also the age of the infrastructure. But one of the things that I also talked about is congestion factors. If there's a lot of congestion in a certain area, They may look at things like a roundabout or other means to remediate that. Carbon reduction is a big thing that that we're looking at now.
1: Do you do anything with bike lanes by chance, or is that completely separate? Okay. We really do.
0: In fact, most of our projects are involve multimodal pieces where there's not only for cars, but bike pedestrian and sometimes, sometimes there's even rail involved, but most of the time bike and pedestrian upgrades are involved in pretty much all our projects. Now it's, it's an ideal code with streets and we're highly invested in that.
2: So uh, Jeff this further to that, like, what's the, I guess the output of your work, right? Like we talked about you are working with the, the photogametry. is yeah. there like a, my, my words are probably not going to be the right ones, but is there like a portfolio of pictures that you're handing off to like the civil engineering department and you're saying, Hey, we took the pictures, we mapped all this out for your project. What
0: does that output look like from you and your team? Yeah, that's another good question. There's three main pieces to it. There's what I call 2D mapping, which is basically a CAD file that shows all the different features as if you're looking straight down so you'll see features like obviously the edge of the roadway things like that but also you'll see details as small as guy wires off of utility poles so we try to capture all that stuff so that uh, the designers know if property needs to be taken or utilities need to be moved what's involved there so that's the 2d component the 3d component um That's evolving right now. We used to call it a digital terrain model, but now it's being built into the same file as what's called a terrain, and that's a 3D representation of the ground. You probably have seen a contour map before. Uh, that shows lines of elevation, lots of times for hiking, things like that. That's what we were using when I first started were contours, but we've evolved to this digital terrain model and now terrains. So that's a second piece of it. And then the third piece of it, you were talking about photos. We don't give them the individual photos because the photos have distortion in them. The distortion is from what's called relief displacement or terrain height. Obviously something in a valley uh, has a different scale than something at the top of the mountain, which is right next to it. There's a, a different distance to the plane. These distortions are removed in a process called orthophoto generation. So we'll give them a big mosaic photo that covers their ento- entire pro- project area, and it's called an ortho mosaic. And these displacements and uh, distortions are removed in that process so that the line work overlaps exactly on that photo. So they can use that photo as a backdrop to their engineering work. And you'll see that in that in Google Maps, Google Earth, ortho images. So cool. that the line work let, lines
1: up.
2: Yep, yeah. there you go. Jared,
1: everything you ever do think that all this went involved? Was involved? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when he said before the utility lines, I was like, boom, yeah, of course you gotta think yeah. about that. But I was not sure. not there. Yeah.
2: That's right. But when you look back on your career, you've got 30 some odd years with the New York DOT. Is there a particular project that stands out as being, I don't know, most interesting? What would you say was one of the highlights of something that you've worked on?
0: Yeah, there's so many of them. But I don't know. When I look back and something that was challenging to me um, was the creation of a system called PMI, the Photo Mapping Index. And it's basically a based on geographic information system. That's a curriculum that's taught in the geography department. But when I was there, it was really just getting off the ground and what it is. It's a method to link um, computerized maps with databases so that you can click on an object in a map and get a whole bunch of information about the about the object that you just clicked on. They're called attributes. So this GIS was evolving when I was there, but it wasn't mature. It was just coming, up, coming about. When I got to the New York State Department of Transportation, they were tracking their projects um, on paper. It was paper maps and like a catalog with stickers on it showing where we had photo coverage. There was three different four different units in in the photogrammetry section and they all had their own database i worked with another penn stater named scott rubright to combine these different databases and then we linked them to the maps in this thing called pmi and we created the first web-based gis application at new york dot and when you think about google maps and google earth and stuff like that these web-based map applications or just everywhere, but back then they weren't, and in order to make that happen, we had to first combine those databases, figure that stuff out, figure out what people would want to get when they click on this, what kind of information we have to share with our customers, and then also uh, find a way to serve it up on the web on our intradot. So we have an internal website and we shared it on there. So all that was just coming about. And we had to learn how to start our own web server to, to do this because we didn't even have an internal web server at the time. It was really a challenging project. And I talk about working with another Penn Stater on that, but I was one of the first Penn Staters to come to New York DOT. And uh, after that, a few others came. It was a big Wisconsin foothold <laughs> in terms of the geography departments Wisconsin and Penn State were like always number 1 and number 2 battling it out and uh, the the people that hired me were all Wisconsin people it's interesting to bring some Penn State mentality
1: there i love it you got a little rivalry going in the department maybe and then also uh, on the football field too which is That's fun. right. Uh, question cuz you mentioned google maps is there any communication coordination with you and Google Maps, knowing that you guys are pretty much the, I would imagine, the official source of mapping within the state of New York. Um,
0: no, there's really no affiliation with Google or anything like that. But we do work for the GIS program office within New York State, and they are the ones who create these ortho images. And we kind of work for them as a quality assurance almost a vendor or a, I don't know, like a freelance uh, group that checks their work. And we do that because we have the equipment to do it and we make our own. So we know what goes into that process. But in the past, those images were used by Google, but now Google makes their own. I got
2: to tell you, six months ago, I was driving not far from my house and I saw the Google Earth car and I was so excited. (laughs) because I felt like it was just like this fictitious thing, right? And I was just driving down like any other car, but it says Google Earth on it. It's like a little sedan, like nothing, you know, it's not like a truck or anything. I was like, oh my God, look
1: at that. And it's got what, the the 360 cameras, right?
2: Yeah, it's got this big camera on the roof. It's pretty
1: wild. I've seen it as well. Very interesting. (laughs) I got to ask, outside of New York State, Jeff, if someone came to you and said, you could be granted the opportunity to map one place in this world, wh- where would you choose and why?
0: That's really interesting. We have projects all over the place. And that's one really unique part of my job is I get to see so many places throughout New York State without actually having to go there. We had the Twin Towers, Niagara Falls, you name it. We have images of it, as long as it's a near a transportation corridor, really. But I don't think I would really think of it in terms of mapping one place, but maybe I would turn that question around and say, if I had a chance to map it with one technology, what would that be? And I think at that point I I would like to, to do more with drones. I know you asked about it before we're just getting into it, but I think that's a technology of the future that's going to allow us to do more. But New York state's been late to the party on that. And part of that is because we're, we're risk averse, there were FAA regulations about flight over the public. And in order to do a lot of what we do, we have to fly over the roads with people driving on them. And that's another reason fixed wing, because as long as they're operating above a certain altitude, there's no limitations on that. I think I would like to do more with drone imagery.
1: Just one other thing on the technology, because we do have a great partnership with the Daily Collegian and every episode a student asks a question and This time, we got Owen Kennel, and I think you may have touched on it because Owen Kennel wanted to know about technology changes since you graduated in 1989. Changed Just a little bit, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: just a little bit over 30 some years. When I was in the geography department, and like I said, GIS was really just getting off the ground, and we did have a computer lab for that, the geographic information systems. There were four computers in the whole department. And they were in the Walker building and you really had to fight to get on them and just find a space to work on your project. Computing power really was just coming underway then. And then when I went to uh, New York DOT, when I was training, I actually trained on a analytic device where the photos were mounted above and they had a projector that shined through and I created contour maps on mylar with a pencil. So that's, so we're going from pencil and paper. Then I trained on an analytic instrument. It was like as big as a dresser and it had optics that you put your face in and you could see in stereo. So the way the aerial photos are taken is they overlap by 60% as they go along down the flight line. And in that area where they overlap by 60%, that's called a stereo model and you can see in three dimensions. We would work from stereo model to stereo model down the line using this instrument to compile roadway and to map the 3D components. We'd look at the bottoms of slopes, tops of slopes, but that took a lot of training to train your eyes to be able to do that. And obviously, if you were looking into this machine, the person who's training you couldn't see what you're seeing. You would have to physically move, have them come over, look at it. But now with the advent of digital photography, they can see it the same as you through what's called a liquid crystal shutter glasses. So that's the technology we use now. We wear these glasses that get information from an emitter on the computer and it shutters the liquid crystal uh, over a hundred times a second and that creates the illusion to your brain that you're seeing one three-dimensional image when it's actually flickering the left and the right image very quickly but another huge thing in mapping is the the invention of gps global positioning systems said one of the one of the groups that i oversee is the land survey section and gps is a big part of that right now you probably couldn't think of life without gps it's on your phone It it gives you directions anywhere you want to go but there was a time when GPS first came out that it couldn't be used for that. It wasn't accurate enough. It had this thing built into it called SA, selective availability, and what that is, um, intentional error that's put into the system because it was a government system used by the Department of Defense. And the only way to get an accurate reading good enough to use for survey is to have not just one GPS receiver, but two over a known, a known control point. And what would happen is that one over the known control point would tell the other one, how much error there is and correct for it on the fly. It was called real time correction. GPS is another huge technology that's brought us along and allowed survey to advance so much more quickly. They can collect more data much quicker with GPS. So.
2: I got another one for you. So I'm glad you brought up GPS. If So like if you're working on a project, right? Let's say that involves adding a road somewhere. Yeah. Once that road is open to the public, how quickly does the GPS recognize that new road is there when <laughs> I'm going, if I
0: am going on a route that would take me that way? That's a really good question because actually that came up to us. And it all, I guess the answer is it depends. So our highway data services group is the one who are responsible for providing that data to, to these groups for, and they do it in the form of a GIS file called a shape file. And anytime there's a realignment or a new road added, they need to go in and add this data and they do it from our engineering data. They add that and convert it into GIS format but uh, they can't add it too soon because the GPS will try to take you on a road that's not open. Really what it comes down to is construction signing off saying, yes, this project is open and it's now carrying traffic. And then the, the highway data services can release those files and they can be added to your, your GPS, your Google maps, things like that. So sometimes it might take as much as a month or two months to get in a system because I do remember when we added, uh, we added an exit here in Albany, exit three for the for the airport, and it took a little while for that to get in the system. But that's a really good question. Yeah, good. People good don't know. think about stuff like that. Though. You just assume that it's all right. That's right. And Honestly, then we're mentioned faced, how we're faced with the thing is like how much change is enough to trigger one of those. If it's uh, if it's just a simple thing like we're building a new bridge right alongside another one does it really matter? So we got to come up with an offset and say, okay, if it changes by this much, then we make a new data set. Right. But that was really a good question.
2: Cool. You mentioned when you were at Penn State, how you were steered in the direction of majoring in geography, but did you ever think that you'd end up in this line of work? Were you, is this something that you were, you know, were you into maps when you were a kid or anything like that?
0: I also liked maps, but I grew up in Pittsburgh and my dad was a truck driver for UPS. He was into fishing, but not so much other outdoor activities. I did learn a lot about maps and things like that in high school, where I met up with a vice principal there who he had a club called the Explorers Club. And we did things like, we did rock climbing and cave exploring, things like that, and hikes and stuff like that. And I, I always really liked planning out our hikes on a, a topo map to see how much incline we were going up and things like that. And I always thought that those maps were like a work of art, showing all the different trails and things like that. I think that maybe that's where my love of maps came from, hiking in the Allegheny National Forest. I like the outdoors and I like having that paper map. So yeah, that, that might be part of where that came from. But I do think it's funny that I started in engineering and I wanted to be an engineer and quickly found out that wasn't for me. But now I work in the Office of Engineering and I work hand-in-hand with engineers every day. And in fact, I have some on my team. What we do is considered more of a support role, but it's a vital role. And that other piece, the CAD unit that that I manage, that's very, that's just ingrained with everything you do in engineering. So everything's built on that CAD.
1: Well, you spoke a little bit about engineering at Penn State and making the transition. So let's go a little bit deeper in terms of your Penn State experience. We're gonna put you in the lines, then brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride and reminisce about your time at Dear Old State. Remember to visit lions-pride.com to pick up the latest and greatest Rose Bowl champions gear. Yeah,
0: I gotta get there and get some Rose Bowl swag.
1: Yeah, you did. That's
0: right. That's right.
2: So again, Jeff, you touched on it a little bit, but how did to tell us a little bit more about how Penn State prepared you for your the early part of your career and then your professional life? Did you feel like you were well
0: coming out of out of undergrads when you started with the DOT? It taught me how to work hard and accept challenges i wasn't i wasn't always the best student i had some some challenges where i had a semester where i was living in an apartment and working at mcdonald's there on sours (laughs) and they had me working like crazy amounts of hours and i was one of those kind of people that just didn't want to say no i didn't want to let people down i worked too much and i let that kind of get in my way Uh, but You know, I had a rough semester, but I was able to press on and take those classes again and excel. Things don't always go right the first time. And so it taught me to work hard and accept challenges, but it also gave me the confidence that I could learn anything. So I remember that's one thing that I told, um, I told the people here at DOT when I started in 89. When I heard that I was starting in the photogrammetry group instead of the cartography group, that where my experience really was. I just told him, I said, you know what? I can learn anything. Just give me a chance. I can learn it. And I think Penn State gave me that, uh, that confidence. The other thing that I learned was that classwork doesn't always directly apply to what you're gonna do. A lot of the geography curriculum was about human geography and things like that, that although they're important parts of it of the, the field, they really didn't apply to my work in
1: engineering. Toughest question of the podcast, favorite Penn State memory? <laughs> There's so many of them, but I'd have to say my favorite Penn State
0: memory is my most recent Penn State memory. It was the just the feeling of pride that I had, the overwhelming pride that I had hearing my daughter's name announced during graduation at the Schreier's Honor College wow. Congratulations.
2: last year. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah.
0: And hearing um, President Barron talk about the small number of students that excel to that level and what it takes to be a Schreier's student. I never had a sniff at that when I was there. My daughter really knocked it out of the park and uh, she, she had a dual major and a minor and was a Schreier's honor uh, student. I'd have to say that was really my most proud moment. Penn State. There were a lot of other runner-ups for most memorable thing. my own graduation being one of them. And I do have to say something that you'll never forget is rushing the field in 1986 when we won that last home game against Pitt. Wow. You had no choice but to go down on the field. And yeah, that was crazy. But those are some of the
1: other memories that really stand in my mind. Wow. Very nice. And your daughter's name and what is she doing now?
0: Yeah, Jessica Barth. She's figuring out what she's going to do for applying to some grad school right now. She had a degree in biobehavioral health and philosophy with a minor in
1: bioethics. Wow. So, Good for her. Congratulations. Yeah. And, and b- before we started recording, you were telling us, because we have this partnership with a podcasting class at Penn State, that your daughter's roommate, right, If I, if I got this yep. right was in the podcasting class and I guess she went back to her apartment and was talking and your name was the name that she put forward for the podcasting class, right?
0: We were hanging out at their apartment
1: after a game,
0: having a little party there and talking and she was asking me about what I do and then later on she asked me if it'd be okay to put my name in. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll send you what I do. I didn't ever (laughs) expect to be called, but I think it was funny. And
1: here we are here we are when we saw we're like wow this is such a unique and interesting career we have to have you on so i'm glad you made the time i'm glad i'm
0: the first from earth and mineral sciences that's need to represent
1: definitely yeah
2: that's right
0: so jeff if you could go back and visit with yourself as an 18 year old freshman what advice would you share concentrate on the important stuff don't get caught up in uh some of the things like that I said I, I thought was important to work outside of school, things like that. But I'd also tell myself to take advantage of the resources that are available at Penn State. And I know you, you're probably like, oh, I, I heard that before. And I know that some of your previous interviewees probably said that same thing, but I, I, uh, I agree with them that there's a ton of resources available that I don't think I reached out for enough of that, study groups, things like that. There's just so much available to students. And Penn State's so big, you can't possibly know all of it, but uh, try to take advantage of those things because they will help you down the line. And even things like the Alumni Association and some of these mentoring programs that are in place beyond uh, graduation. Sometimes those contacts are great. They can break the ice for you. And if I needed to talk to somebody else at a mapping company and I knew they were a Penn State, or at least I know I have something in common. It's a way to break the ice. I'd tell them to take advantage of those resources.
1: Yeah, great advice there. And along the advice lines, when you find out someone is considering Penn State, maybe like your daughter did, what do you tell them? Why should they go to Penn State?
0: For me, it was like a chance to be part of something bigger than you are. I don't want to compare it to being in the military, but it's kind of like that. Part of something that's bigger than you as an individual. Penn State has the robust alumni association with lots of contacts there. Professors who really care. I told you that Dr. McEachern reached out to me, told me about this opportunity. That's where I, why I am here where I am now. I see the rapport that my daughter has with her professors. And I don't know, I just think that it's big, but you don't have to feel like a number there. There is it's what you make of it. And I don't know. I like the big school feel. I would definitely say Penn State was right for me. And
2: you mentioned that your daughter just graduated from Penn State. Any other ways that you still feel connected to the university? Do you still
0: get up there? Do you still keep in touch with anybody from college of EMS? Yeah, yeah. Most recently connected through my daughter and my nephew. My nephew recently graduated a little before my daughter, uh, he's an aerospace engineer. So we going to see him and see some games, but also through my my old roommates, I would get together for games every once in a while on tailgates, maybe every couple years. I really met a good group of people starting at the Beaver campus. That's one of those other examples of Maybe things don't go your way, but sometimes it works out for the best. At first I wanted to start at main campus. I didn't want to go to a branch campus and I was accepted into the Beaver campus. And my mom said, oh, that's probably good. You'll make friends anywhere. And the friendships that I made at that Beaver campus carried through and they became roommates of mine up in state college. And even through this to this day, it's one of those things where you don't think it's right for you at first, but it ends up being a good thing in the end so i stay connected through them but also try to stay connected through the alumni association i was part of a local chapter here in albany and also through that mentor program the college of earth and mineral science had a mentor program that i signed up for but it was funny because nobody ever contacted me but i think it's because it's such a small field
1: that that may change after they hear this interview. yeah, yeah we'll, so maybe we'll... we're maybe well, words out. We'll make sure the college gets yeah. this interview as well. I'm sure they'll be extremely uh, willing to share it and also extremely proud of all that you've accomplished throughout your career. I love the story about how you had this will to succeed from day one at the DOT, have continued to stay there, which is also rare these days to hear someone that, you know, has a career 30 plus years at one location and continues to drive impact there. I know we learned a lot of new knowledge. I know we have a new appreciation for what you do and for what your colleagues do. And one of the things that I was thinking about is you have a profession that touches and impacts everyone in New York State in some level, whether they live in New York State or visit in New York State. And I'm right, like, traveling wow, through. Yeah. there is not many people that could say that their job impacts every single person in the entire state or visiting. So I think that's very special and, you know, really thrilled that you were able to come on and share so much insight and knowledge with us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that, that, that point that you just made. I, I try to share that with my team at work and let them know that the, the work they do is important. It's hard for us because we're so upfront in the design process that um, lots of times by the time a project's constructed, it's, it's in our rear view mirror. We don't, we're to our next project. We don't think about it, but I go over a bridge every day. That was one of my first projects and I know the impact that had on the community. So yeah, it is rewarding in that way. So and, cool. And it's keen that you picked up on that.
1: We look forward to uh, following your career and uh, certainly wish you and your daughter, a lot of success and. We always end the podcast with, we are Penn State, baby.
0: Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.